Jessica Jakeley was a frightened little girl sitting in her Sunday school classroom. Her teacher had just read to the class, she had just read Matthew chapter 26, verse 11. It's there where Jesus says, you will always have the poor with you. And Jessica's young mind was overwhelmed as she tried to grasp this verse, you will always have the poor with you. She had nightmarish thoughts of hordes of poor people coming for her all through her life, pursuing her for the rest of her life, begging for help. And no matter what she did, no matter how many she helped, there were always more of them. It was just too much for her little mind to process. But in the next moment, her teacher continued and read from Matthew 25, verse 40, where Jesus says, And as much as you've done it to the least of these, my brothers, you've done it to me. And while the poor, uh, she understood, would be an ever-present reality in her life, so would Jesus. And she began to see not only the overwhelming need of poverty in our world, but the overwhelming promise of Jesus that we are never alone, that he would always be with her. That's a wonderful promise, isn't it? That we're never alone, that Jesus is always with us. That's one of those promises that you and I hold to. When one of our friends is going in for surgery or, you know, if someone has suffered a, a loss, our prayers very often, our Lord be with them, right? We pray, Lord, be with this person. We know the blessing of that connection, the connection to Jesus. We, we draw strength from our connection to him. And we can't miss that part of our connection to Jesus is, is our interconnectedness, is our connection to each other. That strength comes from our connection to one another. That, that's part of being the church, isn't it? The church is the body of Christ. We are connected as the body of Christ and we are connected to him. I hope that's something that you and I don't take for granted. I hope we know the blessing that's in that, and I hope we realize there are people in our world, there are people right outside our doors, right outside our gates, who don't have that. They're alone in their pain, they're alone in their depression, they're, they're alone in their sickness, they're alone in their loss, and many of them are alone in their, in their poverty. They're aware of everything that they lack. And you and I have the gift of connecting them, connecting them to us, connecting them to each other, connecting them to Jesus. You will always have the poor with you. But when you help the least of these, you are really doing it to me. We hear Jesus's promise of his presence with us, but we also shouldn't miss his call here. His call is, is our responsibility, the responsibility that we have to care for the people around us. We're getting pretty deep into Luke chapter 16 today, but we're still hearing the response uh, to the criticism that Jesus received back in chapter 15, verse 2, where the Pharisees said of Jesus, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. What was the criticism of the Pharisees? That there are some that don't deserve our care? There's some that don't deserve Jesus's care? That Jesus is wasting his time with these sinners? That in, in being with them and receiving them, he's, he's actually even sullying himself. That's what they were saying. 
receiving sinners, eating with them. That is not something a man of God would do, Jesus. And so Jesus, for two chapters now, has been chipping away at that, chipping away at that criticism. And as we come to the end of chapter 16, he's, he's still chipping. We're looking at a, a very unusual story in, in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. We call this the, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. It is a strange story. And I feel like as we start, I need to tell you what this story is not. This story is not in your Bible. This story is not here to tell you what heaven is like or what hell is like. This story is not there for us to preach a sermon on what happens five minutes after you die. No, instead, this is another indictment against those that set up walls, walls that say, I'm worthy and you are unworthy. I am clean and you are unclean. I am welcome and you are unwelcome. And the warning is that those walls that you and I set up way too often, if we're not careful, those walls eventually become chasms that separate us forever. Jesus begins in Luke chapter 16, verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner received bad things. But now... He is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses. And the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Jesus is criticized. This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. What about the rich man in the story, though? He is clothed in purple and fine linen, and he feasts sumptuously each day, every day. And what of Lazarus? Lazarus desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. We don't have to be told that's wrong, do we? We understand that that's wrong. 
You know, the law, in fact, said in Deuteronomy chapter 15, the Old, the Old Testament law, Deuteronomy 15 verses 7 and 8 said, If among you one of your brothers should become poor, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Now, the rich man had... He had found a unique solution to Jessica Jakeley's problem with the poor. The solution? Just leave them outside your gate. Leave them outside your care. Don't think about them. Ignore them and let them die. It's not that unique of a solution, though, is it? As for Jessica Jakeley, she grew up. She never forgot that lesson that she learned in Sunday school that day. She never forgot the promise of Jesus' presence and what that promise told her. That promise told her that she could do something of ultimate significance for the poor in her world. And so in, 19, in, 2000 and, in 2005, Jessica Jakeley founded an organization called Kiva, K-I-V-A. Kiva, it's a micro-lending organization that makes small business loans to people in third world countries. And in fact, you and I can participate for $25, for just as little as $25. You, me, us together, anyone can make a loan to a small business owner in a third world country. You can loan to a man in Kenya needing equipment for his farm. You can loan to a, a woman in another country needing clothes to start a clothing business. You can loan to someone who's wanting to, to improve their country and improve their community, improve their own life. And to date, more than $1 billion has been loaned through individuals with $25 loans Individuals making loans through Kiva in 78 different countries. And, and I remind you, it's, a do, it's not a donation, it's a loan. The repayment rate on those loans is 95.7%, which is incredible. But Jessica's example reminds us, reminds you and me, that we have a responsibility to care for others. Whoever the beggar at our gate is, or whether it's that beggar at our gate, whether it's that poor person on the other side of the world, whether it's that person next door or just down the road who is consumed by loneliness, who is consumed by that, and, and that loneliness and needs to know that there is someone who cares and needs to know that Jesus cares. And that's a responsibility that we can't miss. You see, it's not just about caring for others. Our responsibility is to connect, not just to care, but to connect. Our responsibility is to connect others to Jesus. You know, there's no other parable of Jesus is quite like the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And part of that reason is it is the only parable that Jesus ever told where a person's name is given. We're given the name of Lazarus here, Lazarus. The only other Lazarus we meet in the New Testament is a friend of Jesus's. In, in the Gospel of John, we meet Lazarus, whom Jesus raises from the dead. Lazarus, it's not the same Lazarus, mind you. Uh, Lazarus was a common name back then. That Lazarus in the Gospel of, of John, that Lazarus had friends. He had family. He had a house. He was a wealthy man. He had people who cared for him. The Lazarus here in Luke's Gospel is a beggar. He is poor. He only has dogs. But Lazarus isn't the only name in this story. 
There's also the name Abraham, and we shouldn't miss that. Abraham, as you know, is the father of the Jewish people, but he was so much more than that. Abraham was a paragon of virtue to the Jewish people. Abraham was, was famous for his hospitality. In the book of Genesis, we read of Abraham welcoming strangers into his home. We, we read of Abraham welcoming angels, welcoming kings, even welcoming God. Abraham cares for many and extends his hand to those in need. You now, the Jewish teachers in those days, there was a kind of literature that they they used. It was called Midrash. It's a Jewish literature, Jewish literature called Midrash. And in that, in Midrash literature, Midrash literature, they would allow themselves to kind of play with the stories of their heroes from their Bible. They would tell stories and make up stories about about famous people, kind of the way we do in America with Daniel Boone, or we might tell a story about Davy Crockett or something like that. They would do the same with with their heroes. They told stories about Abraham. They also told stories about Abraham's servant. In in Genesis, we're introduced to Abraham's servant, a man named Eleazar of Damascus. And the Jews would tell stories. The rabbis would tell stories about Eleazar. Eleazar was a very humble man, a very generous man. Eleazar, according to the rabbis, was one of nine people who ascended into heaven without ever dying. That was their story anyway. And every now and then, Eleazar of Damascus would disguise himself as a beggar, and he would come back to earth, and he would test the children of Abraham to see if they were as generous as their forefather. He would disguise himself as a beggar and see if they would help him or if they would leave him in his misery, if they would give him something or if they would ignore him, if they would bless him or if they would curse him. And then he would return to Abraham and tell him, what his children had done. You know, for, for Jewish children, it was Eleazar of Damascus, not Santa Claus, who, who knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. Verse 24, the rich man speaks, and he calls out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. You hear what he calls Abraham there? He calls him father. But in what sense is Abraham his father? The law of Moses said that that the children of Abraham were to care for the poor among them, that you were to open your hand to your brother who was in need. Abraham's own example is one of hospitality, of, of generosity, of giving to those who are in need. If he's only calling himself a, a son of Abraham and calling Abraham his father because he's Jewish, he's made the wrong connection. In fact, the prophets told of the connection that, that the, uh, the children of Abraham were to have. The, the prophet Isaiah, in, in Isaiah 58, verse 7, he says, Share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house. The Pharisees criticized Jesus. This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. Do you and I see care for others as part of our connection to Jesus? Do we care for those in need as part of our relationship to Jesus? Do we see our responsibility to connect others to Jesus? Very often someone comes to the church looking for help. 
Someone will come to the church looking for money for, for groceries. We're not here to give people money for groceries. We're here to connect people to Jesus. Sometimes that looks like giving people money for groceries, though. Sometimes people need help getting to the hospital. You know, that's, that's things that friends do. Friends do for you. Friends give you a ride to the hospital. Family gives you a ride to the hospital. That's what we do for each other. Uh, what Jessica Jakely promoted through Kiva wasn't just lending money. It was, it's about connecting people. That's what we do when we meet needs. We connect people to Jesus. And so often, the best place to start is by connecting them to us. You know, the greatest poverty is loneliness. And the greatest gift that you have is yourself. The rich man, by the way, we have Lazarus named here. We have Abraham named here. The rich man is never given a name. The rich man finds himself in the torments of hell. And he asks Abraham to send Lazarus, his servant, uh, Lazarus to, to dip the end of his finger in the water and cool his tongue. In torment, this man who had feasted sumptuously every day, is now overwhelmed by thirst. And he discovers that Lazarus, the one he ignored, in death he needs Lazarus even more than Lazarus ever needed him in life. He asks Abraham to send Lazarus. It's interesting because he does, he treats Lazarus as though he's Abraham's servant, doesn't he? The Jews told stories of Abraham's servant, Eleazar, Eleazar of Damascus, and how Eleazar would test them on their hospitality. He would disguise himself as a beggar and see if they would care for him, if they would give him anything or not, or if they would let him starve and let him die. It's interesting because by the time we get to the New Testament, that old Hebrew name Eleazar in Greek, Eleazar becomes Lazarus, Eleazar, Lazarus, it's the same name. And it seems to me that the rich man's eyes are finally opened and he sees Lazarus for who he was, but it is too late. He has failed the test. And the Pharisees and the disciples and us, we are left to wonder, is it, is it too late for us? The rich man wonders if it's too late for his brothers who are still living. He asks Father Abraham, he says, I beg you, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And Abraham said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. The irony is here that the rich man had Moses and the prophets. He had read Deuteronomy, which said that he was to, he was to extend his hand to the poor. He had read Isaiah, who told him that he was to open his home to the poor. But it didn't matter. And you know what his brothers who were still alive really needed? His brothers who were still alive really needed him. They needed him to set an example for them, to show them what it would mean to care for someone else and not just care for himself. He should have been an example in the way that he cared for the poor, in the way that he met others' needs. 
there are people around us who don't just need a handout. They need us to show them that they are valuable. The greatest poverty is loneliness. And the greatest gift you have is yourself. There's an old, there's an old story from another rabbi. A rabbi was asked one time, what's the difference between hell and heaven? Uh, what is the difference ultimately between hell and heaven? And the rabbi thought about it for a few days. And he said, in hell, there are banquet tables. And everyone is seated around those tables. And the banquet tables are filled with, a, with sumptuous food. It, it, they are filled with every kind of food imaginable. It is decadent. It is amazing. It is beautiful. It is delicious. But the people at the tables are starving to death because they have spoons with six-foot-long handles, and they can't, they can't feed themselves from their plates. And then he said, heaven, heaven is filled with banquet tables, which are filled with a sumptuous feast, every kind of food imaginable. It is decadent. It is amazing. It is beautiful. And the people are full. The people are eating their fill and they are satisfied because they have six foot long spoons and they are reaching across the table and feeding each other. Ah, this man, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. What's the option? There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Which one sounds like Jesus? Which one sounds like Jesus? Which one sounds like his call for his church? Which one sounds like the call to connect people, to connect those who are in need? According to the rabbis, Eleazar of Damascus would disguise himself and come to earth and check on the generosity of Abraham's children. There are still beggars at our gates. There are still beggars at our gates, and they're still disguised. We don't always recognize them at first. We don't see their hurts. We don't always see their hungers. We don't always see just how hopeless they are. It's, it's a horrible thing that there are so many in our world who have nothing. But it's so much worse that they have no one. Can we make sure that they have us? Can we care for the beggar at our gates? You can't miss the hint of what comes at the last verse. Abraham says to the rich man, he says to them, if they do not hear, speaking of his brothers, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. You heard it, right? We, we get it, right? You and I know that there is one who will rise from the dead. We trust in Jesus. We trust in his resurrection for our forgiveness, for our promise of heaven. But we dare not trust in his resurrection without also hearing his heart. 
There are people in our lives who need for us to hear them. They need us to hear their need. They need for us to hear their want. They need for us to hear their loneliness and hear the heart of Jesus for them because they will never know him without us telling them. They will never know him without us showing them. You know, one of the beautiful things that's happened with Kiva in the last couple of years is that Kiva now offers small loans to people here in the United States. What that means is that farmer in Kenya that you helped with $25, that farmer from Kenya can now turn around and make a loan to a man in Fresno, California, who wants to open a, a coffee stand. He can now turn around and help others, and he can feel the blessing of not only being supportive, supported, but he can feel the blessing of being supportive and supporting another. You and I, the church, provides people with that kind of place, a place to know that they are significant, that they can contribute, that they're offering others friendship, they're offering others hope that we're sharing that promise together. And one did return from the dead. And we remember his gift today. We remember as we take communion, as we take the bread that reminds us of the body that was broken, as we take the juice that reminds us of the blood that was shed, we remember what Jesus did for us and what he did for the least of these. Well, let's not forget the example that he set for us to give, to care, to love, to open our hearts, open our homes, and to care for the beggars at our gates. Let's pray. Father, we all feel like beggars at your gate. And we all feel like we've just been thrown there in front of you, seeking your care, seeking your comfort. But Father, you have opened your home, you have opened your heart. Through giving us your son, you have opened a way for us to spend eternity with you. We thank you today for that, for that price that was paid, for the body that was broken, for the blood that was shed, for the cross that was endured. Father, it doesn't just change our eternal destination. It doesn't just change us to, to an eternity in heaven. It's to change us and change our hearts and make us like your son. So as we take together today, remind us not only of the price that was paid, but the example that was set. And let us care for others in their need as you cared for us with the greatest need that we ever had. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Go in peace.